Well, we are, uh, that thing's in the middle of a series. Josh, you did a great job this morning. Actually, I was going to preach on Joshua last week, <clears throat> and um, for the first time in a while, I sort of got off the reservation and didn't do it, so I think it was appropriate that we preached on Joshua when Joshua came up and sang for us. That was really good. Thank you so much. We are doing a series that began back in the summer. And what we are doing is we began in Genesis and we're sort of aimed at um, Christmas time in December uh, to talk about the birth of Jesus. And so we're sort of high spotting all the way through the Old Testament. And the, um, the wonder of the Old Testament, the Old Testament is many things, but one thing it, it is for sure is it's a picture book. If you can, you can look at the Old Testament as a picture book that tells a number of different stories on different levels. Uh, the Old Testament is Jesus Christ concealed, and the New Testament is Jesus Christ revealed. You, you, if you have eyes to see, you see Jesus all through the Old Testament. You see pictures of him. You see, um, uh, well, then there are messianic prophecies. There are a lot of things like that. But you also can see a history or um, you can see a picture of the life of a believer. Um, we began, of course, book of Genesis, and then we came all the way up to when um, Israel was enslaved in Egypt. And um, 400 years... That's a long time. Could could you imagine being slave for 400 years? That would take us back to almost the birth of our nation for 400 years. It's incredible length of time. And the the crazy thing was God told Abraham what was going to happen. How many of you realize God told Abraham in advance that was going to happen? Anybody out there? A couple of you? Okay. So for 400 years, the Hebrews were enslaved in Egypt. And it's a picture of us being enslaved in two different ways, being enslaved to sin, being enslaved to Satan. And Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, is a, is a picture of Satan. Uh, the burning bush, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, secured Moses as a deliverer. Well, we needed a deliverer too. How many of you have had problems so serious you couldn't get over them yourself? Anybody out there? Yeah, then there are the rest of you who didn't raise your hands, so... So we see Moses as the deliverer, another type of Jesus. His mission was to rescue two million Jews. The message God gave Moses was, let my people go. How many of you know God's invested in your freedom? His method, pretty serious method, ten plagues that absolutely decimated the nation of Egypt. And the last one, the, the whole episode culminated with a lamb without spot or blemish whose shed blood secured the safety of the eldest child in each family. 
a very, very real picture of Jesus. Um, that was the original Passover. The Bible says, for Christ our Passover has been sacrificed for us. And so you can see in the Old Testament all these different pictures. Um, then you see their escape through the Red Sea where the Egyptians drown. God then gives Ten Commandments through Moses. And he also gives him a process of worship in the tabernacle of Moses. And his main instruction was build me a house. And so there you see a picture of God's um, earnest desire to dwell among us. And one of the things that touched me the most when I was studying that part recently was that um, God had promised Moses, I'm sorry, God had promised Abraham many years before his extended family was imprisoned in Egypt, he promised or told Abraham that they were going to be enslaved for 400 years, but they would come out with gold and silver and great wealth. And so it's a very interesting story. At the end of their time in Egypt, they had this novel idea. They asked all the Egyptians for their gold and silver, and for some strange reason, they thought that would be a good thing to do was give them all this gold and silver. So when they're in the wilderness, they get the Ten Commandments, they get the whole process of worship in the tabernacle of Moses. God says, build me a house, but he wanted his house built out of offerings that were freely given. And to me, that is one of the most essential ideas um, we could ever have, is that what God wants from us He doesn't want it through pressure, manipulation, or intimidation because that ruins that love process between us and the Lord. Whatever you give to the Lord needs to be given freely and willingly. And one of the things I... Was there an amen in the middle there? I thought I heard somebody squeak one out. But one of of the things I know God does, if you will give him a chance is he will show you how good he is to the degree that it'll affect your generosity. Now, we've already received our first offering this morning. And our second one is going to be for Josh Baldwin at the end of the meeting. We really want to bless Josh. He's one of our own, and he's just a poor worship leader. I mean, he's got holes in the knees of his pants. Did you see that? I thought, we got to help this boy. Since he left us, he's fallen apart. That simply means we didn't do our job well enough, Josh, so it's really not your fault. How many of you love Josh Baldwin? All right, all right. Remember that in a few minutes when we pass this bucket. You know, Josh, nobody ever takes up offerings for me like that. They never talk about, you know, you have no idea how awesome this really is, son. (laughs) Moving right along. Okay. Build me a house, but God's house, Paul says, whose house are we, is to be built out of free will offerings. And so I believe on the top of God's agenda is in trying to prove to us how good he is, how much he cares about us, to the degree it will affect our whole lives. 
what we give. And I'm not just talking about giving money. That's the smallest part. How about the giving of yourself? To recognize you're a member of the body of Christ, that you have a role to play, that you need to sort of find your people. Anyway, so they follow a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Forty years they wander, moving toward the promised land. Historians say if they hadn't messed up, they could have gotten in there in 40 days, but instead it took them 40 years. That's a warning all of its own. Now, Moses brought Israel out of Egypt, but Joshua completed the deliverance by bringing Israel into the land that they were promised. And so you need to understand why couldn't Moses bring Israel into the promised land. And here's my theory. Number one, Moses did not die because he was old and sick. He died because God told him to. How many of you would like to be that obedient? See, the the story there about Moses, it says, his eye was not dim, nor was his natural strength abated, but God said to him, go into this mountain and die, and he did. How do you die if your natural strength hasn't abated? It's an incredible story. If you do not like this book, you're missing out. This is better than uh, Stranger Things Part 2. <laughs> I mean, this is the book where God picks a prophet up by his hair and carries him off somewhere and shows him something. Don't you like a God that would pick you up by your hair? Oh. Uh, it would be a miracle to pick me up by my hair. <laughs> oh, me. Yep, time's about up. Okay, so why could Moses not bring Israel into their inheritance? I believe it's by type Moses represented the law. And the law cannot enable you to become who you're supposed to become or obtain what you're supposed to obtain. So we see Moses brought them out, but it took Joshua to bring them in. Now, here's a great question. My wife posed this to me. She said, what qualified Joshua to lead the nation into their inheritance into their promised land? We find in Exodus 33, 11, it says, Joshua, well, So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speak to his friend, and he would return to the camp. So Joshua and Moses would go out and meet with the Lord in his tent. And then Moses would actually meet to God face to face. I have no idea what that would be like, meeting God face to face. I think there would be some fear involved. And then Moses would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. And one of the comments my wife made, and she believes us, and I think it's true, that one of the qualifications for Joshua to lead Israel into the promised land was that he was addicted to the presence of the Lord. He was addicted to God. He had a God addiction. He couldn't get enough God. He'd get the shakes. I like that. Way to go, Donna. That was a really good point. Now, When I think about the law, 
I think about how utterly significant and important it is. And when I'm talking about the law, I'm talking in essentially about the Ten Commandments. And then later Israel got, I don't know what it was, 700 other additions to that. That some of it to me was crazy, like can't eat pork. I said, come on, man, give me a break. There's something wrong with that. But uh, come on, folks. Anyway, the significance of the law is it gave Israel an identity. They, they went from being a tribe of enslaved people to a people group who had a code of conduct and insight and revelation and righteousness that represented the righteousness of God. And they had, that was unlike any other people group in the world. And so the law plays and continues to play a significant role in the life of Israel, really in the life of the church. So it gave Israel a new identity. It revealed to Israel the holiness of God, and it gave them a moral code of conduct and behavior. So here's what the law can do for you potentially. It can give you a desire to come out of hedonism and living just a wicked, self-centered life. It can give you a vision of how to behave. It shows you what righteousness looks like, how justice may work. But here's what the law ultimately does. It proves to us that we're sinners. The law can never change your character, fix your flaws, change your heart, or bring you into your own personal promised land. That's what only Joshua could do for the children of Israel. And that's what only Jesus can do for you. You see, there's this whole issue about legalism. I have people that get all wrapped up in the Hebrew laws, and I had a fellow come to me one time and basically told me if God healed healed you, you couldn't stay healed if you didn't eat according to the old covenant. I mean, people, listen, that's how do you get there? I don't want to be Hebrew light. But there are people that really think they're holier and more spiritual if they go back into the old covenant and emphasize obedience to all those rules and regulations. But it's an impossible thing to do. I mean, there are a couple of them that says if your children depart from Jehovah, kill them. You ready for that? You may be ready for that, but it's still illegal. Right? Right? The Jews could never obey all of those laws. Let me give you a little heads up. God gave the law from this regard or in this sense to prove to people how utterly sinful they really were. But the problem is pride can convince us like it convinced the whole Hebrew nation that they were keeping the law. But so Jesus... Old tricky Jesus, you can't mess with Jesus. I'm going to tell you that right now. I'm serious. Jesus said, let me find this, over in the Gospels. Where was that? I know I have it here. 
Well, let me, let me just tell you what he said instead of reading it. Jesus said, it has been said unto you, thou shalt not commit, let's pick a good one, adultery. Everybody's, thou shalt not commit adultery. Then Jesus says, but I say unto you, in other words, he's interpreting the law. But I say unto you, if you have looked upon, this is for the guys, a woman to lust, you have already committed adultery as far as God's concerned. And so what Jesus does is he reveals the utter hypocrisy in depending on the law for righteousness and the utter foolishness of thinking you can actually live that way. If you understood what I was saying, you would be high-fiving people and dancing around a little bit. Because Moses can't get you into your promised land. Adhering to a code and a bunch of laws and rules and regulations will not release you into the fullness of the life that only the Son of God can give you by taking up personal residence inside of you and energizing you and giving you that power. Here's what Paul writes about the law. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there's any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. And so Paul, who knew the law better than possibly any other living Jewish man of his age, wrote that. Now, Paul also wrote this. He basically says the Ten Commandments are good, but they don't make us good. Their intent was to reveal to us how much we need a Savior. Romans 7.12, therefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Romans 5.20, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Romans 3.20, therefore by the deeds of the law or doing good things, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Romans 3.28, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from adherence to the law. Romans 8.3, for what the law could not do, say that with me, for what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son. And Romans 8.2 is so amazing. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. I have studied that for almost 40 years and felt like I only understood it a month ago. Because I kept saying, what's the law of the spirit of life? And I was asking the wrong question. I wasn't looking at the whole of the sentence. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is the spirit. The spirit is that law of life that infuses you with power and enables you to overcome. Not rules, not regulations, not how you 
hold your head when you carry your Bible, not all the crazy, I don't know, all the crazy stuff people do. They do a lot of crazy stuff. How can not eat pork get you into heaven anyway? You may go earlier, but all right. Let me just tell this story. I had a guy, I'm not going to tell that story. I got to get on. You want me to tell that story? I had a guy that went into all that legalism about the dietary laws. And he was very, if I named him right now, you'd know who he was. But I'm not going to name him right now. But trust me, he was a mover and shaker. And he got into all this stuff. And I had to, he was going to come speak at a church I pastored a number of years ago. And I had to tell him when he came, he couldn't talk about that stuff. I wasn't in charge of bringing these people. I was in charge of the trouble they caused. And um, he got angry and, you know, started arguing with me. And I told him, I don't care. I'm in charge. That's the way this is going to go. Every time I ate with him, I ate pork. I never go buy pork chops. I bought pork chops one time. And the rest of the story would absolutely blow the doors off your noggin. But I can't tell you the rest of the story. No. All right, let's go to, uh, we're going to shift gears now. For the people of God under, I didn't mention this. Do you know that Joshua's name and Jesus' name are identical? Yeah, Moses can't bring you in. It takes Jesus. Can I make that point one more time? Good. All right. It takes faith and humility to enter the promised land. So, why don't, why don't you, uh, I want us to read a four or five of these slides from Joshua chapter 1. And I'm going to be talking about this in a little bit of a strange uh, context. I'm, I'm going to be talking about Joshua's feet. Say Joshua's feet. Joshua's feet. Um, what do we do by faith? What's the description of the Christian lifestyle? We walk by faith, which involves your feet. Okay, good, good. Now, I read this one time. This is very interesting. If you get lost in the wilderness and you just start to walk your way out, you will eventually, if the area is large enough and nobody finds you, you will eventually, after a number of days, come right back to the original place where you were lost. How many of you are aware of that very interesting fact? Why is that? It's because everyone has a side to them, a leg to them, that's stronger than the other side. And see, if you don't have a balance in your natural body structure, you won't really walk in a straight line to get out of your wilderness. You will think you're making progress, but you're only going in circles. And so if you're going to walk 
in a way that will get you into your inheritance, you need to have a strong balance. You need to have faith and you need to have humility. And so we're going to look at this. So let's read this together. Joshua 1.1. After the death of Moses came to pass that the spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, the children of Israel. Every place the... Every place that the soul of your foot, every place that the, is a singular or plural? It's singular. I read the um, Manchurian version earlier. No, the uh, Hebrew. Every place the sole of your foot will what? Tread upon I have given you. What tenses have given you? Past tense. So here's a vital key. What God has given has to be received. That's vital. So God says this, you have got to go walk on your inheritance. You have got to take the ground I have already given you. See, the wonderful thing is God's already given it to us, but there are problems. It doesn't look like he has, but he has. And so he ties together the fact of what he has already done for us with the fact that you can't enjoy it unless you walk it out. Everywhere the sole of your foot touches, I have given you. Okay, next section. From the wilderness in this Lebanon as far as the great river, all of the land of the Hittites, and the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all. Listen to that promise. Put this in your life. Any, any obstacle. Let's say that again. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. That's our job description. There should be nothing that ever can't be conquered. As I was with Moses... So I will be with you. And then this marvelous promise. I will not leave you, no forsake you. Be strong. Look at each other and say, be strong. Be strong. Say that again. Be strong and of good courage. Be, str be strong. How do you be strong if you're not strong? You receive that word. There's something in that word. So now receive that word. You weak, miserable, helpless. No. Are you ready? Be strong and courageous. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Oh, mocking the, oh, whew. come on. 
For to this people you shall, oh, I like this. This is what you shall do. This is who you are. This is what will happen because I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. It'll feel like it. It's a lie. It'll look like it. It's not true because I have promised you the God who cannot lie promised you. Let's go to the next one. <laughs> Only be strong and that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. Verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Hang on. Now it sounds like he's saying you shall not say it, right? But what he means there is this word, translate this in a New Testament experience. This word of the law, this word of faith, these exceeding great and precious promises shall never stop Coming out of your mouth. That's what he's saying. See, that's a vital key in conquering your promised land and obtaining your inheritance. Apple pencil battery's low. Did that show up up there? Oh, sorry. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. On and on and on. Then it will make your way prosperous. Then you'll have good success. Have I not commanded you? Let's read that last part. Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. Wherever you go. God has to say over and over not to be afraid. Do you know why? There are things out there that scare us. And we can't really escape them. We have to know God. We were born in a war zone. How many of you are familiar with that? We were born in a war zone. You may not like it. That doesn't matter. You're still there. You may wish this stuff would stop. It's not going to stop. It's going to keep going. Wishing things were other than they are is the most ridiculous. I wish that was not made out of metal. That thing were made out of metal, my life would be so much better. It's metal. But that's what people do. They argue with the reality all the time. Guess what? The only time you argue, you lose an argument with reality is whenever you have one. I really think that's important. Oh. Okay. I got sort of fired up there. Now, here's what we have. Our first foot in conquering our promised land is the foot of faith. How many of you have met word of faith lunatics? They just run around blabbing Bible all the time, and they ain't doing any better than you are. You know what I'm saying? Well, here's the thing. You have to have legit faith. 
You have to have authentic faith. And faith has to come with the heart man believes unto right, with righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I read somewhere there's 7,000 promises in the Bible. 7,000 promises in the Bible. How do you obtain promises? By believing them, agreeing with them, and speaking them. And if you don't understand that, you're not going to be that successful spiritually. Now, that's the first foot. Everywhere you step, I have given you. Let's go back. Everywhere. Uh Uh-oh. Every place, verse 3, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. That's your faith foot. God's given you this land. Now, when you look in the New Testament, you will ultimately begin to realize virtually every single promise God has given us has been given to us in the past tense. Because here's the difference. The law says do, grace says done. Religion, and I'm using religion in the um, the negative sense, religion tries to keep you doing things and promises that you will be satisfied and successful if you do. But the gospel basically tells you it's all been done. Rest in the fact. Speak the reality of it. And you will begin to experience what God's done for you. And so when you um, look in the New Testament, Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. There's this idea of since you've been crucified with Christ, I know that makes no sense. It's just the truth, though. You now have access for Jesus himself to live inside of you. Now, Ephesians 1.3. I would recommend you taking pictures of this slide and going and looking these verses up later. I don't have time to go through all of them. But Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Say that. Has blessed us. What tense? Past tense. If you're not blessed, it's because you are blessed, but you haven't obtained what you, the blessing. It's available. Has blessed us with what? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. All right? Raised and seated. Ephesians 2, 5, and 6. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ, raised us up together, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, that means several things. If you're raised and seated in the victor's chair... Guess what that assumes about you? You're a victor. You, you don't gain victory by gaining victory. You gain victory by recognizing your victory has already been obtained for you. And you can rest in that. I mean, a lot could be said about that. I'm just going to whet your appetite. Ephesians 1.6. We've been accepted. 
that we might live to the praise of the glory of, of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. One of, one of the reasons a lot of people don't feel accepted is they're trying to get accepted. You already are. My goodness, if God accepts you, what's, what's, what's this rest of this crowd? What does it matter? Right? Have you ever noticed people, the harder they tried to get people to like them, the more it put them off? Yeah, this is dynamic in life. It's when you settle the fact that God fully embraces you. There's a level of acceptance that goes all the way down through your feet. Your way, you become likable, way more likable. There's a lot to say about that. But, so it goes on and on. We've already been justified. <clears throat> Jesus had already spoiled our principalities, which means Satan's already defeated. We've already been made free. We've already healed. We're already perfected and sanctified. If you simply read the Bible, that's what it tells us. Now, your faith confession is so important. The Bible says with the heart, man does what? Believes. You know, in one sense, it doesn't matter what you believe until you say something. You know, there are a lot of people that answer an altar call to come to the Lord. But all they really do is walk up and walk back to their seat. They never declare to people what God did for them. And there's something that empowers you when you declare what God's done for you. I mean, it's huge. Actually, it says in the book of Revelation, for they overcame Satan by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. I, I think there's a certain generation that's ashamed of Jesus. That's a demonic um, oppression that tries to come on people's minds. You do, cannot afford to be ashamed of Jesus. You cannot afford to back away from your testimony. Back when a bunch of us got saved 275 years ago, we were obnoxious with the gospel. Everywhere we went, we had a Bible in one hand and tracts in the other. I do not recommend because it never really worked, but here's what it did work. It worked something in us to not be ashamed of who Jesus is, not be ashamed of being a believer, a Christian. Yeah, well, what about all those sorry Christians? What about them? I should quit because 99% of everybody that you know is a Christian is an idiot. <laughs> it isn't about them. It's about Jesus. And people talk about them because they won't deal with the fact when they're confronted by Jesus that they have to make a choice all their own and they want to blame everything and everybody. But when you get before Jesus, I'm going to tell you something. There are not going to be any witnesses there. Nobody's going to tell Jesus what a good person you are and nobody's going to tell him what a bad person you are because he already knows. He's just going to be you 
and Jesus. And he actually says this. If you are ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you. You see, there's this side to Jesus we don't always want to look at. He is a real person with real emotions and real feelings. And we should be offended when people talk ugly about Jesus. We should. I've got so many stories I'm not going to tell. A friend of mine used to say persecution is God's income tax. More income, more tax. Less income, less tax. Is Jesus worth being persecuted over? Is Jesus worth losing friends over? Is Jesus worth losing jobs over? You have to answer that question. I've had some serious identity crisis over my life. But but there comes a time in your life where you really have to make a decision about this Jesus that that affects things. I can remember in college, I was in this fraternity. And during that period of time, I had a major encounter with the Lord. And the Lord said, I want you to, I want you to quit your fraternity. And so that's what I did. I stood up and told them, I can't do what you're doing anymore. Well, it was offensive to them. But the truth was, I couldn't do what they were doing anymore. And one guy wanted to beat me up. I had a friend of mine who was meaner than him. And he threatened the man that threatened me. But listen, I lost... I lost friends. I honestly, I had the only Christians I knew in my college that time, I would just consider mama's boys that I wouldn't give time of day to because I didn't like that. I had to make the, I said, I'm going to follow Jesus and that's who's following me. I'm just going to go get with him. What's he worth? This is, this is, what's he worth to you? Really? What's he worth to you? Have you seen him for who he really is? Pretty confrontational here, Robin. But I think sometimes we need to answer that question on a regular basis. You know, we love all the blessings. Well, there's some responsibilities. Okay, let me move to the second foot. This is in Joshua 5. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho. Now, here's what happened. Joshua had to go into this alien land that God said he'd already given to him, but the only problem was there were walled cities and people that wanted to kill him. Sort of like living in America, you know. And so they were going to have to conquer Jericho. How many of you remember about the walls of Jericho that were so thick they could drive chariots on them? Well, it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man 
stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, read that with me. Let's read that one more time. Are you for us or for our adversaries? And other Joshua said, whose side are you on? Ours or theirs? And what did he say? No. I'm in charge. See, oh, Lord, look at America. Whose side is Jesus on? He ain't on anybody's side. He's Lord. See, that, see, when you get that faith going or that false confidence going, you run right into conflict with God to the degree that you say, well, I'm going to take everything. And you run into something. The Lord says, no, you're not. And you say, well, who are you for? And he says, well, who are you for? Well, what do you mean? I'm in charge. As commander, as it says in one place, as captain of the Lord's host, I have now come. Joshua did what? Fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Here's what he said. Take your other shoe off. And so we have before us, everyone in this room has before us an inheritance And that inheritance that lies before every one of us in this room is equal to the promised land Joshua and the children of Israel were facing. And it's going to take two things. It's going to take faith, but then it's going to take that kind of obedience and humility that I felt compelled to sort of um, confront you about when it comes to Jesus. See, is Jesus your Lord? One of the things people do naturally is they try to develop a theology that excludes obedience and trusting God. It's a natural instinct. Every one of us do it. All we have to do is come into a crisis. And that crisis will tell you if you're trusting God or if it's shattering one of your concepts, one of your theological concepts. I, I had I had the Lord uh, years back um, I was telling I, it was real easy for me to tell people what to do. And one time the Lord rebuked me and he said, he said, Robin, you, you've given these people all these so-called answers. He said, you don't, you don't really know what the questions are yet. You don't understand enough about these people. You know, people are very complicated. And it's so easy to look at people and casually think you could tell them some little stupid thing and it would just radically change their lives. That's not right. I'll tell you what I've been doing lately. You see Weinstein and Kevin Spacey and the Senator Franken and all these people who've done these terrible things. I'm saying, Lord, help those guys. 
I mean, get them to quit. It's been terrible what's happened to these women. Terrible. Then I think about friends of mine that have gotten in this trouble and that trouble. Then I think about even people that are just messed up in the kind of ways that makes you mad. And I have found myself recently praying for those people. God have mercy. You know, we are all, anybody know we're all messes? Can We're messed up people. Love covers a multitude of sins. We can't just casually give one another advice. I think we should do the best we can. But I, I, I believe God is breaking. I believe this is really going to happen. God is going to be breaking people's hearts in the way that they will have compassion for every man. For every man. And it'll no no longer be um, who's got the biggest or the brightest or the best or who's the smartest or who's that it won't it won't be that way anymore. That we will honor each other because you you know it's a wonderful thing to go through a mess with God. It's a wonderful thing. It's not a wonderful thing to go through a mess by yourself. But if when you go through troubles and problems and heartaches and sorrows and you go through with God, something wonderful begins to happen. He begins to make you truly human in a divine sort of way. How many of you heard that, that New Testament, uh, the meek shall inherit the earth? I used to think meek meant wishy-washy. Weak. I heard a guy say recently, and then I went and confirmed it. Here's the definition of weak. Meek, I mean. The man who has a weapon to use and keeps it sheathed. That was Jesus was meek. He had a weapon to use, but he was so confident He was so sure of himself. He didn't have to pull his sword out and whack people up to show them who he was. He had a weapon to use but kept it sheathed. That's who's going to inherit the earth. People who are kind and gentle and meek and mild, not because they're weak, but because they have tied in to the legitimate power of God and they know who they are and they know who he is and they don't have to prove it to anyone. They can simply live life and care for people. Amen. One last verse. Let's read this. Stand up. Let's read this together as Andy comes. Oh, oh, we got to receive. Yeah, will you receive his offering? Okay, let's read this together. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. Let's give the Lord a shout. He's talking about us. The Lord gave them rest. 
according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. And not a man of all their enemies stood. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Ladies and gentlemen, in our world, in our dimension, he's not talking about people. Your enemies or attitudes, sin, hostile, all that, not people. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. There you have it. Amen. That was so good. Come on. Josh, come on up here real quick. Hey, while you're standing, why don't you just grab your wallet out of your back pocket? We're going to go ahead. We're going to, we want to take up an offering for Josh. Um, ushers, they've got envelope. Yeah, there you go. If you need an envelope, we're going to, um, we want to, we want to send, um, Josh back to the parched, arid desert of, of Redding, California with a bunch of money. And uh, it's a really beautiful place, isn't it, Josh? It's really nice. <laughs> Try to get him back. I love him so much. <laughs> we love Josh. And uh, I, I thought, you know what's better than money? We're going to pray for him. Yeah. All right. So why don't you just, uh, why, <laughs> don't stretch out your hands if you're filling out a check. But if you're not filling out a check, <laughs> let's, pr- let's pray for Josh right now. Father, we thank you for all that you've sowed and invested into Josh's life, and we just bless him today. We thank you for this album that of his that's going around the world and changing lives, God. We thank you for the songs that you've put in his heart. We thank you for the ministry that you've given Josh and Sheila, and we, we're just expecting more for them in this next season, Father. We're expecting bigger stages, not because of the because bigger is better, but we believe that what you've put inside them is so precious. It's setting people free. And we thank you for giving them access to helping people. And Father, we pray protection and peace over their family, over their children. And Father, we just thank you for this, uh, this offering today. And as, as it goes to bless his family, that the nations would be impacted for your kingdom. We, we pray this in your name. Amen. Ushers, go ahead and uh, start passing those buckets. Uh, I want to invite the uh, ministry team up front. Um, man, uh, I was honestly, guys, I was personally challenged by Robin's message today. I was that that uh, that thing about the meek inheriting the earth. I've never heard that definition before. That was pretty incredible i i realized how how quick i am to hear about something like somebody falling like like i i don't know uh when when we're on social media and we're hearing about things badly happening to somebody else who's not in our orbit far away from us it's just so easy to like lower the boom of judgment on that person in our minds right and i find that like like i'm i'm in practice of condemning people at a distance and what i need to be doing is practicing meekness in my daily life i'm especially you know with all the news that's coming down, we need to be practicing meekness from a distance 
so that we get good at practicing meekness within our circle of, of friends and family and, and the people that we have influence over. Amen. So if you feel like it, there's something that you want to respond to in that message today, our ministry team is up here to pray for you. If you have anything else that you want them to pray for, they would love to um, pray for you. So be blessed. Have a wonderful holiday with your family. If you don't have anywhere to go, um, bother somebody and ask them if you can come over to their house for Thanksgiving. So um, with that, be blessed. Have a great week. See you next week.